explosive biohazard diarrhea, a gender reveal gone deadly, and the toddler in chief. It's time for my losers of the week. Then, will black Americans ever vote Republican in a meaningful way? Rob Smith says no shot. He joins me in just a few. Next, the government isn't being honest about what went down in Maui, and I've got a resident and wildfire survivor on deck with her side of that story. And last but not least, Kamala Harris makes a disturbing proclamation, and I have some final thoughts. It all starts now. So let's all be honest, things in the USA have been crappy since the day Joe Biden took office. Included on that list, air travel, delays, cancellations, diversions, near-miss collisions, and even mother effers on planes who aren't real. Those are just some of the nightmarish things that Mayor Pete Buttigieg has yet to really tackle. But this next story, well, I can't even blame this one on Mayor Pete. A Delta Airlines flight from Atlanta to Barcelona, Spain, was forced to turn back around after a passenger had explosive diarrhea that was so bad, it was labeled a biohazard. Yes, someone literally crapped a plane right out of the sky. Now, had this Rhea been confined to the lavatory, all could have been salvaged. But no, by all accounts, this Rhea was an all-encompassing Rhea and was spread through the aisles of the plane, hence why it was a biohazard. So I'm not really sure why someone with explosive diarrhea would chance getting on an eight-plus-hour flight but that's a loser move for sure. Also, this person has yet to be identified, but I'm sure will be on a short list for the Witness Protection Program because there's just really no coming back from something like that. Sir, ma'am, they, them, whatever, change your name, change your city, state, and country of residence, and fast. I'm also not sure how Delta is going to compensate the other passengers aboard the porta potty of the skies, but I would demand reparations and a lot of them. But moving on to another avoidable tragedy, a gender reveal stunt that left one person dead. Yes, dead. So this happened in Mexico last weekend. After dropping pink smoke over the couple to reveal their baby's gender, the pilot then crashed the small plane and died. And it was all caught on video. And what's worse, after the crash, the couple seemingly carried on as if nothing happened. Now, this isn't the first time a stupid gender reveal celebration has caused carnage and destruction. In 2017, a gender reveal in Arizona resulted in a forest fire that burned over 47,000 acres. In 2019, an Iowa gender reveal involving a makeshift pipe bomb of sorts ended up exploding and killing a grandmother standing nearby. You know, these freaking gender reveals have gotten way out of hand. They're stupid and honestly, in my opinion, just another narcissistic way for couples to make a scene and a spectacle. I also blame social media for making this gender reveal event a trend and a thing. Annoying and in some cases, deadly. Worth it? I think not. But speaking of babies, on to my final loser of the week, Joe Biden, who was apparently upset his staff treats him like a baby. Ukraine, President Biden is the oldest president in U.S. history. Why does White House staff treat him like a baby? No one treats the president of the United States, the commander-in-chief, uh, like a baby. So there's this book that says That's ridiculous. when staff ridiculous claim. what sounded like a call for regime change in Russia, the president, uh, quote, rather than owning his failure, he fumed to friends about how he was treated like a toddler. Was John Kennedy ever babied like that? 
Joe Biden is a baby and he needs babysitting for obvious reasons. In fact, I hope the White House is baby-proofed and I hope someone has put a child protection seal on our nuclear arsenal as well. There's a good reason they keep Joe in the basement in bubble wrap. God save the queen. Those are my losers of the week. But shifting focus now to a more serious topic, 2024. It can't come soon enough and we need to win. But can we? Does the GOP have enough broad and grassroots support to win a modern-day general election? And whoever our nominee ends up being, can they count on peeling off even a small percentage of the black vote? Well, my next guest says no, and he's here to tell me why. Joining me now is political commentator Rob Smith. Rob, thank you so much for joining me. I was excited to have you on. Obviously, I've seen the social media controversy after you and I think rightly pointed out that although it's great to strive to get the black vote in 2024, it's not going to be some big change maker, something significant. Tell me why you think that and what you think of the backlash you got for saying it. Okay, so there was this all this conversation that was going on where I saw people saying that, oh, you know, Republicans and and Trump in particular are going to get 30 to 40 percent of the black vote. And this is so exciting. Look at these social media videos. Look at these MAGA rappers. Look at all of this stuff. And so when I saw this stuff, Tommy, I said, well, uh, we were saying this five years ago. Okay, so I became prominent and and got my platform and all that stuff um, and became a conservative influencer, I guess, if you want to call it about five years ago. And I was on the campaign trail for Trump. We were really trying trying to turn the black vote out. We were really trying to do a lot of different things. And honestly, the Republicans and Trump were doing a lot for this vote as well. Um, He put out the platinum plan. He had achieved the lowest black unemployment in history. These were very tangible things. But the problem is, is that black voters just did not show up in 2020. They went from 8% of the black vote in 2016 um, to about 11% of it in 2020. And after that happened in 2020, after African-Americans did not show up, the infrastructure that was kind of built up to support this effort kind of disappeared, right? So all the Blacks for Trump centers disappeared. Um, all of this heat sort of died down. And then Trump started dealing with the legal stuff. And, and everybody was talking about election integrity, et cetera, et cetera. So I just don't buy that right now. All of a sudden, there's going to be this 30 to 40 percent that's going to come up in 2024 when the infrastructure just isn't there. And so my question to the GOP and the RNC is that George W. Bush got 20 percent of the black vote in 2004. We're heading into 2024. Right. Uh, So that was 20 years ago. And so what happened in those 20 years? So the infrastructure is not there. The outreach is not there. The media plays are not there. And so I just don't want people to kind of get um, scammed. Uh, you know, I, I don't want people to to, to feel um, some false sense of security um, and to expect something that I don't think the infrastructure is there to support. And beyond that, I think that a lot of Republicans have a false sense of security anyway. I don't think that a lot of Republicans who just exist primarily on social media and especially Twitter, I don't think that they understand what it's like on the ground. They think that Donald Trump is going to have some amazing victory, even though the polls are really not saying that. They think, oh, my goodness, this time everyone sees what they're doing to him. They're going to come out. They're going to vote for him. I think that exists on social media, but I don't think that that exists across America. So I think that there is this this confidence, this bravado that all of a sudden Trump's just going to come in and he's going to win from the jail cell. I don't think that that even beyond just the black vote, I don't think that's as probable as a lot of my fellow Republicans believe. Are you in the same boat as me on that? 
Well, I am on the same boat as you, Tommy. And this is about being a realist. And to me, and I've said this over again, and I feel like I have to say this every time I say something even slightly critical about Donald Trump. Uh, this is not about an individual candidate. Okay, if Donald Trump is a nominee, I will vote for Donald Trump because it's either Donald Trump or communism. I've said that a million times. But we have to be real about what's going on. And I think that this kind of echo chamber that exists on Twitter among the terminally online is really not reflective of real life. And so again, I don't want people to get lulled into some false sense of security. And if you want to talk about election integrity, we can talk about that stuff. But the bottom line is this. If there are no real efforts that are that are coming from Trump world or that are coming from the RNC or the GOP or anything like that um, to sort of fortify election integrity, my fear is that people are going to be expecting something that is just not realistic and that if it doesn't happen, then we're going to go back to not trusting elections again. And I do I believe that there was some fraud in that election? Absolutely. But I've never believed that it was enough to overturn the total election. Right. Um, and so, so, you know, Tommy, you know, we, we've both been around for a while. And I, and I think that when you have a, a platform, you know, like mine's or, or like yours, which is larger or like a lot of the other um, conservative influencers, if you want to call it that, I think we have the responsibility to tell people the truth um, and, and not to, you know, lull people into a false sense of security or, or to sell them fairy tales. Yeah, what I think is odd is that every time that I say something in the vein of realism about 2024 and about Trump's general election chances, uh, I'm called a grifter and I'm called disloyal. And they tell me that, you know, I'm shilling for a paycheck. And in my mind, it's actually the opposite. It would be much easier for me to sit here and say, Trump, 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 mega, I'm Trump, I'm on board, 100% loyal. It would be easier for me to do that. My grift would yeah. probably be stronger if I did that. But I, like you, feel like I have a responsibility to my country to be honest about what I see happening in 2024. I'm not okay with losing in 2024 and then just bitching for four years that it was stolen. That's not going to do it for me. But I want to ask you about another point, too, because I think this is important. I, sure. I wonder if you find this condescending at all. After the mugshot, there was a lot of talk amongst conservatives on Twitter and social media that that mugshot was going to make black America vote for Donald Trump, that somehow him being in the legal system and him having a mugshot, that was going to do the trick. I found that a little bit condescending to the black vote and the black community. What was your take on that narrative? I mean, I, I guess, Tommy, you know, I... <laughs> I've got pretty thick skin. Like, I don't really get sort of uh, riled up by much. What I I saw it as is I saw it as this sort of kind of like illiterate attempt to be kind of culturally relevant to say, oh, my God, you know, all these black people from the hood are going to see this mugshot. And then, you know, Donald Trump is a gangster and all that. And I saw some of the memes and like the memes are funny. Like, you know, the memes are funny. The memes are cultural and all that. Um, so I think that that conversation is honestly like that's kind of like a different version of the conversation that happened five years ago. Um, and I think that a lot of people in our movement, you know, they're so, I, I think, thirsty um, for some sort of cultural relevance. Remember when there was all these rappers that were like, yeah, you know, we're for Trump, we're for Trump, we're for Trump. And we and there are some people that think that these people speak for the quote unquote black community. And look, like the black community, like the Hispanic community, like the white community, et cetera. Et cetera. Like these are millions of people that have lots of different points of view. Not every black person's from the hood, you know. Right. Um, not every black person is 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 from you know the Ivy Leagues like uh, uh, the Obamas of the world. Okay, 
Um, so I think the point is, is that we have a lot of different people from a lot of different backgrounds that constitute uh, whatever it is that, that people want to call the black community. I didn't personally take offense to it. Uh, I just thought it was a little tone deaf. And I thought that it was kind of like an easy way to push an idea that there was going to be this increase in the black vote. Uh, when, like I said, and that's the point that I've been hitting uh, over and over again on Twitter, um, no infrastructure has been put in place in order to make that happen. Yeah, you're exactly right. And I think the criticism you've been getting is unwarranted and quite frankly, stupid. You know, I saw some of the back and forth there, some of the, the Twitter feuding with Dan Bongino and others. Yeah. You got to tell me what all of that was about. You know, I saw it. I saw the videos, but I really don't understand why he came so hard for you. And I don't understand where this feud ignited. It seems silly to me. I don't think that you're the one that, that started it. And I think that you were simply responding to, you know, his attacks. But tell me what went on there. Yeah, you know, I went on Bongino's show yesterday and I actually posted on my Twitter the conversation we have. It's actually a very interesting conversation um, about the black vote and all that other stuff. So as soon as what happens on social media and Tommy, you know, you've trended before, you've gotten into these scuffles before. This is what happens. I got a lot of criticism from, you know, a lot of lower level black conservatives um, on Twitter that had a, a problem with what I said about this sort of fairy tale that Republicans are going to get 30 to 40 percent of the black vote. And one of these people had tagged me in something that Bongino was saying on either it was his, his podcast because I think his podcast is video. And so I'm thinking that this person, I'm thinking that that Dan was responding to me. So I said, okay, uh, you know, I'm not going to respond to any of these lower level people, but I'll respond to Dan Bongino. You know, the guy's got a huge platform. So I made my video. He DM'd me to come on the show. I legitimately did not see the DM. He said that I was lying about seeing the DM and it just got super aggressive. And so what happened was Bongino DM'd his cell phone to me. I was at a conference at the time. Um, and so I called him. We talked that on, we talked that up via phone. Um, and then I came on a show yesterday and we kind of like cleared all that up. That was the first time for me, by the way, that I've really gotten into something with, with you know, another influence or whatever. I, I tend to kind of stay away from those things because I'm, I'm military. In, a mil in the military, we used to have a term that say uh, it's not mission focused, right? So it's not mission focused for me to be in a scuffle with somebody that agrees with 90% of the things that I agree on, which is why I generally don't go into those things. Um, but I, I'm kind of glad it happened. I'm glad we cleared it up. And I'm glad that we were able to have that conversation on Bongino's show yesterday, you know, which I put on my Twitter. And I think that that cleared a lot of that stuff up. What's well, good. I'm glad to hear that. And I'm glad that you're speaking the truth. You know, I don't want to go into 2024 with blinders on thinking that everything's going to be peachy. You know, I think one of the reasons Trump was victorious in 2016 is because he was actually really underestimated and nobody thought he had a chance. But he put in the work to get the forgotten American, the everyday American. He showed up. I'm a little disappointed at his ability to show up at this point. I don't think you can run on indictments and poor me, but that's just my perspective. So I appreciate you speaking the truth especially on social media where it's so needed. God bless you, and we'll talk to you soon. All right. Talk to you soon, Tommy. Thanks, Rob. All right. Coming up, we've sent $113 billion to Ukraine and counting. We shell out tens of millions to house, feed, and clothe illegal immigrants. But what about Americans? Maui wildfire victims were promised $700 a family after losing it all. Maui residents have been sounding the alarm over the complete and total government failure, and my next guest wants to set the record straight. Here now is Maui resident and business owner Jenna Yap. Jenna, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me. You know, we've been given so many competing narratives about what's actually going on in Maui, what has been happening for the last several weeks. So give me just kind of an overview, a rundown of how things went 
from your perspective, being there, seeing it, and what is the media getting wrong? Well, first, we have business. So I have businesses in Lahaina, and no one knew what was happening. Like, just truthfully, I live on the south end of the island. Our businesses are on the North Shore as well as on the west side. No one knew anything that was happening. I think that's the biggest thing is, you know, everyone's saying they did the siren and all this, that they would have helped a lot of people, saved a lot of lives, prepped us or something. No one knew anything that was happening, which I think is the bit, it's like the worst because we could have at least, you know, prevented a lot of things if we were um, made aware of what was happening. Um so I want to yeah. dig into that just a little bit. So you mentioned the sirens, but beyond that, do you feel like this was purposeful or just incompetence? Why do you think that information wasn't getting around, that people didn't know what was going on? I'm sure that's got to be incredibly frustrating, but do you get a sense that this was just morons who weren't able to handle disaster, or was there something else going on here that we might not be aware of? I mean, there's so much speculation and conspiracy going on an island. Do I really think that I definitely think that there are people that are unqualified. That's for sure. Because if they were qualified enough, they would have used the siren. That's the number one thing. The way that it's been, been handled. Now we just made a month horrible, like literally horrible. Um, there's so like thousands of people that are not housed. There's no solution. There's no plans. I've gone to multiple resource centers, I've spoken to multiple people on what is the solution for us as business owners, as well as residents, no solutions, no answers, no nothing. Um, we've gone to FEMA as well as um, to apply for the SBA loan, National Guard, no answers, everything's on hold. So a lot of us are just left in limbo. A lot, everyone's left in limbo, really. So... There's been also a lot of outrage, rightfully so, about the $700 to a family, you know, an entire family, $700 doesn't go very far, as well as those there from FEMA who are staying in resort hotels that are costing $1,000 a night. I mean, is there a sense on the island of that outrage? Because I know over here, obviously, in the U.S., people are, are really frustrated here, you know, um, in the continental U.S., frustrated by what they're seeing. But are people on the island as frustrated as the rest of us are? Very much. Everyone's upset. Again, we don't have answers. $700 does absolutely nothing. Um, and I know they're giving rental assistance, putting everyone in hotels. But it's like you have that. Everyone here has large families. Hawaii is, you know, seven. An average family has three to four kids plus. So when you put a large family like this in a hotel room and expect them to just, you know, live and just figure it out, that's that's what's happening. You have large families that are put in these hotel rooms and now they're starting to take these families out because they're reopening tourism, which I totally understand because we do need tourism to stimulate the economy. But most importantly, we have to put these residents or give them a solution to where they're going to live and you can keep pumping money into the households, but it doesn't give a solution to what's happening. There's no housing, absolutely no housing for these people. So people are kind of just out on their own then. Is that a sense of just kind of figure it out yourselves and we'll help you when we can, but there's really not a go-to, there's really not a point person or agency that you guys feel has your back? No, and there's a lot of I mean, Oprah and The Rock came, what was it, last week? We had Biden come a week and a half ago. 
you know, all these people are coming in and just saying, oh, we're going to, you know, give money and all this, but there's no solution because we already lack housing in Maui in itself. You know, there's a, a big part of our island is vacation rentals, Airbnb and all that. So we already lack so much housing. So what is the solution to housing these people? You can give them money, $500, $1,200 a week, but what is that going to do? These people and the residents and all of us here in Maui need answers as far as what we do moving forward. You know, and again, there's so much speculation with land grab and all this. No one knows anything of what's going on. There's no real solid information. We're just on an isolated island waiting for answers and winging it. Right. Well, let's get into some of those. You know, I know that there are a lot of conspiracy theories floating around, some that seem somewhat ridiculous that a laser beam started the fire and others that, you know, maybe they're a little bit more truth, maybe even a grain of truth to them. You mentioned the land, land grab. There's obviously been a lot of outrage in looking at some of the infrastructure that wasn't touched. And of course, because we're not there and there's a lot of competing narratives online, those of us that, that are following this, we don't know for sure, like you do, what's actually going on. So I want to get your take on it. Maybe you don't know either, but I would ask you being there to speculate. You mentioned Oprah and The Rock. You know, there's a lot of people that are saying, hey, listen, there are some uh, palatial mansions that were not touched. And it seemed very selective that certain mansions, uh, certain people didn't have their homes burned to the ground. When you're on the streets, when you're talking to people that live in Lahaina, that live in Maui, are they feeling that same thing too? Or is that just a complete internet tale? Well, a lot of, I mean... On, on social media and whatnot in our community, there's a lot of people saying, you know, blue cars, blue items weren't burned, whatever the reason is. Um, I personally walked Front Street a couple of days after the fire happened, um, Thursday and Friday, and seen a lot of, you know, what it looked like prior to it being barricaded and locked up. Um, very odd. There's like a whole section that's burnt, one little parcel that's not, you know. So, I mean, it's hard to say you don't even know what. I hate to speak on conspiracy, but right. who knows? Yeah, it just does seem very selective. And, you know, we don't know how these things burn. I mean, there are probably a lot of reasons scientifically that certain things happen. But it just looking at it from a bird's eye view, it all does seem a little suspect. And then the response to it seems a little suspect. Last thing I want to talk to you about, you know, when Biden finally did come to Maui, he didn't get the warmest of welcomes. You know, we saw a lot of people with signs. They were very upset with him. They feel like he wasn't doing enough. He was disingenuous. He talked about his small kitchen fire. When you're talking to people, were they pretty upset at the president for the way he behaved? Absolutely. Comparing a kitchen fire to this horrific tragedy that our whole town burned down, like, some people don't realize, like, not a, not a little city, like, the entire Lahaina is gone. <clears throat> like, everything. And that is, you know, that used to be the capital. That's the, one of the most historical towns in our entire state. And the whole thing is gone, except for minus, you know, these little areas that get burned. But it's completely gone. You have thousands of people displaced. And then here comes the president rolling in on his, you know, motorcade with no real... It's, it's kind of like he just came to visit and to show face and, you know, maybe he cares or whatever, but there was still no solution. He's been, he was here uh, almost two weeks ago, no solution, no nothing for all these people. He got to hear them speak and tell their stories about what was happening. He walked the streets, seen everything demolished and never, 
there's still no solution to anything. You walk into all the resorts on the West side and you'll see thousands of people, children, not even in school, you know, and you would think that after COVID we had some practice as far as doing maybe Zoom school or something, hundreds of children not in school, thousands of people just lingering around in the hotels, in the lobbies. It's, it's bad. It's, it's, it's sad. It's bad. It's sad. It's, you know, all of that. And this is a month. Right. You know, you would think that there's something, it's nothing. There's no money. There's no help. There's no answers. There's nothing. Right. And beyond that, I'm sure it's got to be frustrating when you see, I know it is for me, when you see hundreds of billions of dollars going to Ukraine and then American citizens are left to just pick up the pieces after a disaster. I can't imagine how insulting that must be. I know that it's got to be hard there in that community. I really appreciate you being here today, telling us the truth, giving us, you know, the honest answer from on the ground. We really appreciate it. We're thinking about all of you praying for you, and we hope that someone comes with some resources and some answers for you guys very soon. Thank you. God bless you, Jenna. All right. Up next, speaking of incompetence and nightmare scenarios, Kamala Harris says she's ready to take over should something happen to Joe Brandon. God help us. It's time for Final Thoughts. Joe Biden, or whoever controls Joe Biden, has had the worst presidency in American history. But as bad as he is, and he's bad, there is someone worse. And she is an 81-year-old's fragile heartbeat away from running this country. Kamala. Kamala freaking Harris. And um, talking about the significance of the passage of time, right? The significance of the passage of time. So when you think about it, there is great significance to the passage of time. And I think the first part of this issue that should be articulated is AI is kind of a fancy thing. It's, first of all, it's two letters. It is time for us to do what we have been doing, and that time is every day. Every day it is time for us to agree. I'm Kamala Harris. My pronouns are she and her. I'm a woman sitting at the table wearing a blue suit. Here's the thing. Who doesn't love a yellow school bus? Right? Can you raise your hand if you love a yellow school bus, right? That never gets old. Kamala has the lowest approval rating of any vice president ever, with only 32% of Americans in her corner. I'm not sure which Americans make up that 32%, but it's safe to assume they mailed in their vote. And though by all accounts Kamala is a train wreck, she is still confident in herself. She must be because she posts photos of herself with Joe as a content prop multiple times per week. And if I see another damn Kamala Pose photo, I think I may be sick. But what if, heaven forbid, something happened to old Joe? Well, Kamala told the Associated Press earlier this week that she is ready, willing, and able to take over the job of being president should old age or gravity choose to assassinate our current president. While her answer to that question and her willingness to take over is expected she is the vice president that comes with the territory, it really is chilling to hear her say it, like bone-chilling. But let us also understand that every vice president, every vice president, understands that when they take the oath, that they must be very clear about the responsibility they may have to take over the job of being president. Though she was careful to note that that probably won't happen given Joe's supreme physical and mental abilities. So yes, I see him every day. A substantial amount of time we spend together is in the Oval Office where I see 
how his ability to understand issues and weave through complex issues in a way that no one else can to make smart and important decisions on behalf of the American people have played out. Smart and important decisions like what? Afghanistan, the border, Bidenflation, skyrocketing crime rates. Yeah, he weaves through those issues unlike anyone else, that's for damn sure. Even weaves and falls over sometimes. But even still, he is not as bad as Kamala, not even close. That's why I caution Republicans to cross that impeachment Rubicon. Sure, Joe deserves to be impeached, but if it's successful, just think what we are left with. Kamala, word salad Kamala. And that is one of the many reasons why I've been warning the GOP about taking risks in 2024. We can't afford to take a risk. We can't afford to F around and find out. If we do and we lose, we are left with the ice cream man or the wheels on the bus enthusiast. Take your pick or actually, please, God, don't. Those are my final thoughts from Nashville. God bless and take care.